welcome to Knowing God with Heart and Mind. This is Dan Sinkhorn, and uh, I'm your host. I'm a servant of Christ, a husband, a father, church pastor. And if you're wondering where I got the name for this podcast, it's the subtitle of the Christian Believer Study that was published by Abingdon back in 1999. The Christian Believer Program was a, a program that focused on classical teachings of the Christian faith. And it was uh, it was really neat the way that it explained and interpreted things that we always sort of kind of known if we grew up in the church, but didn't really know where it came from or how we got it. It taught about words and symbols and hymns, and it, it introduced us to some of the longest-lived traditions of the church. It was written primarily by Ellsworth Callis, and the idea was that participants would learn not only to believe, but to think and believe. It was fun and informative because it gave us greater meaning to all these religious objects that have become such an integral part of Christianity as it is experienced by most church folks anyway. Now, as I facilitated that course and continued to mature as a Christian and a pastor, it really became clear to me that belief could and should involve critical thinking. Faith can coexist with objective analysis and evaluation. Now, I've been blessed by God's encouragement to just be who I am as I serve God, particularly as a pastor. And what I've learned over the years is that God seems to have made me a contextualizer. I just love applying my imagination to my experience and then sprinkling it over a healthy serving of Bible truth and world and Christian history. And that's what we're going to try to do here each week on Knowing God with Heart and Mind. I think it's going to be fulfilling, probably a little absurd at times, but hopefully always fun. And I really am glad that you've come along for the ride. Just keep in mind the fundamental goal of this experience is knowing God. So it's essential that we all agree that the Bible is God's message to humanity so that God could be known and loved by God's creation, especially humanity. And we believe that the Bible is sufficient in and of itself so that a thoughtful study of it will most certainly lead to ever-increasing intimacy with God. That's the idea. And as we engage in this weekly endeavor, the scripture and the tradition that we will look to will be built around the Revised Common Lectionary. Now that's because I'm a working pastor and I'll be using the same resources for the uh, podcast that I use to uh, perform my preaching and teaching duties throughout the week and year of the church I serve. Now these days, as I've drawn upon the Revised Common Lectionary, I've chosen just one of the readings to preach on uh, on Sunday mornings. So here is where we'll visit some of the other scheduled readings. Hopefully, this examination of the Word will, in all respects, be based on the solid traditions of our church's forefathers and mothers and on our shared experience of life and with a sprinkling of imagination 
I think we can have some fun. So let's get ready to look at the first reading for this week. Our first reading is from the Old Testament book of Exodus. We're reading chapter 24, starting at verse 12. We're reading through to verse 18. This is the New International Version. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua at his side, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and Hur are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain forty days and forty nights. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is the transfiguration of our Lord Sunday. This is the Sunday that immediately precedes the beginning of the Lenten season of preparation for Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Our Old Testament reading is a story of Moses on the mountain experiencing the presence of God and it neatly is juxtaposed with what will be our gospel reading for this Sunday where Jesus is on the mountain in the presence of God and in the presence of Moses and Elijah both who are now in the presence of God as Jesus and his friends are on the mountain. It's really quite an experience to imagine, but uh, as we prepare to hear the psalm reading, let's open our hearts and minds to God's presence in our own lives. We don't have to climb a mountain. We can simply ask God to hear our thoughts, to be with us in communion, in the same way that he was with Jesus and the disciples, that he was with Moses and Joshua. And so, let us pray. Holy One, light of light, God of all creation, long ago you showed yourself to the disciples in Jesus' transfiguration, his face glowing like a field of daffodils on a bright spring morning, shining us, around us and through us, that the world may see your glory in the faces of your people, faces transfigured in the light of your love. Amen. Psalm 99. The Lord reigns. Let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth shake. Great is the Lord in Zion. 
He is exalted over all the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. The king is mighty. He loves justice. You have established equity in Jacob. You have done what is just and right. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called on the Lord, and he answered them. He spoke to them from the pillar of cloud. They kept his statutes and the decrees he gave them. Lord our God, you answered them. You were to Israel a forgiving God, though you punished their misdeeds. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. The gospel reading that describes the transfiguration of Jesus will be a part of this week's uh, Sunday morning broadcast of the Sunday service sermon and message. So let's take a moment before we read the final scheduled reading from the letter of Peter to just look at what we've seen so far. Remember that our whole purpose in doing this is to know God with heart and mind. And so what have the readings told us so far about God? There's the question. Now, I have a real simple rule that I follow when I am teaching and studying Scripture. probably should have reversed that and said I'm studying Scripture and then teaching it. Either way, what I've realized is that the best thing to do first is take it literally. Now, that flies in the face of human intelligence and a lot of logical, uh, high-minded individuals out there, and I mean no criticism to them, but what if we just took God at his word for the moment, and then after we've finished trying to take it literally, then if we're left with questions that can't be resolved in a literal interpretation, we begin to look at literary devices, and then we look at the uh, cultural or contextual devices, and then we take even further steps to maybe really dig into the language and how it may have changed over the years. But first, let's just assume that the Holy Spirit is at work in providing us with a story of our relationship with God in our own language. That despite all the human frailty that's been involved in the process, somehow God was bigger than all of that and managed to give us translations of scripture that we can count on. I know that's a tall order for some of us, but I'd like to tell you a story. There was a time in my life many years ago when I had an opportunity to handle one of the rarest printed versions of the Bible in the world. It was the King Henry VIII Bible. Now, for some reason, there aren't very many copies of those around, and my guess is because it was a bad translation. If you know anything about the story of King Henry VIII, then you know that he was at odds with the church and uh, was eager to see his ambitions to have a son on the throne fulfilled. And in his rather sordid story of women and uh, palace politics, he decided at some point to break with the church in Rome and even authorized his own 
uh, version of the Bible, which made certain changes that accommodated certain things that he needed. At least that's the story that I heard. Now, what does that have to do with today's readings? Well, quite simply, if I'm willing to take literally what God says in the English language scripture that I happen to choose to use, in this case, the New International Version, then I'm willing to gamble that if God stopped that King Henry VIII Bible from becoming widely circulated and accepted as gospel truth, then God has probably allowed us to have easy access to those translations and versions that adequately communicate God's heart and mind to our hearts and mind. It is an act of faith, and faith is what we're here for. Again, refer back to the assumptions that were named at the beginning of today's podcast. Now, looking at the reading from Exodus chapter 24, verses 12 to 18, we're not really given a lot of story to look into. It's not, uh, at this point, a, uh, a story that, that can stand on its own. It's, it's part of a long journey that the people have been on since the day Moses showed up and said God was ready for them to leave Egypt and enter into their promise. Along the way, God meets Moses from time to time, and in this case, it is a particularly important meeting because this is going to be the time when God gives Moses those tablets that will have the Ten Commandments on it, the law. Now, what's really interesting is that this particular passage doesn't go into any detail about those laws, but does spend a significant amount of time making sure that we understand the nature of the experience. Moses, along with his aide Joshua, have climbed the mountain, and Joshua is a witness, we assume, because he's up there somewhere close by. And when Moses actually enters that cloud that covers the mountain, we're seeing a man in the presence of God. That's pretty remarkable. In every case where God or instruments of God's power interact with humanity in our space and time, there are always these incidences where there's a great deal of intense light, where there is a great deal of danger to the human. And what I have often thought is that it's okay for us to to uh, use our intellect to imagine a God who lives outside of our space and time. In fact, God is wholly apart from that since God created it. And so it didn't exist until God spoke it into existence, which means that at every moment in all of our understanding of creation, God was always apart from it and yet connected to it. So, from time to time in Scripture, we see these portals open between the place where God is and the space and time where we are. Moses is one of those rare individuals in the Scripture who gets to move right up to that portal, maybe even step over into the place where God is. We're not really clear on that in our Scripture reading today, but we definitely get the sense that this is a 
encounter that Moses is uniquely qualified to have. And there is a certain amount of terror associated with it, at least for the onlookers. You know, if you think back to when Moses encountered God at the burning bush, I have oversimplified it in my own mind, as I will tend to do as I take scripture literally, and I've just imagined that this bush wasn't so much the thing as it was in a place where God opened the portal so he could talk directly to Moses. And there is this portal that reveals the majesty and light of God's otherness in God's realm, as the book of Revelation describes it, God's throne room. And uh, so for Moses, at least from a distance, he looks, he sees a bush, and he sees in the vicinity of this bush this intense light that to him looks like fire. To us, it might look like a burst of plasma coming out of a, of a piece of machinery in a factory that cuts metals or something. And uh, please don't think I'm associating those in any way, but just to give you an idea that what we see as that kind of intense light, we might interpret differently. But for Moses, it looked like a burning bush. But when he was in the presence of God, you remember what God said to him? He said, Moses, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. I'm not sure I have the scientific knowledge to understand what that means exactly, but what I can say is that Moses was entering into a unique space where space and time, as Moses understood it, as you and I understand it, is interacting with the otherworldliness of God. Now, that must have been something to see for old Joshua, who was a couple of tears down looking up at this cloud-covered mountaintop. And uh, from what we see in other parts of the story of Exodus, the people who uh, were way down at the bottom of the mountain in the care of Aaron and Hur, well, they saw something that really terrified them, and uh, they couldn't imagine how their friends, uh, their leaders, Joshua and Moses, could have ever survived that. And you know, that kind of leads directly into this psalm reading that we had. Psalm 99 tells us that the Lord reigns and mountains tremble, that nations tremble. You know, uh, I think that if we had been witnesses to God's presence on the mountaintop the day Moses went in to have a visit with God, we would have probably feared the Lord in a profound way. And I would say even our great nations with all of their armies and all of their uh, perceived power would tremble at such a sight. This experience of God's presence for Moses and for the people around that mountain was so profound that it was terrifying. And then the psalmist goes on to tell us that this same terrifying and amazing and mighty God who is majestic and, and larger than anything we can wrap our mind around and otherworldly in the way that God is in God's own particular realm, even though God interacts with space and time that God has ordained for his creation. And uh, it's kind of amazing because we're hearing something that is both terrifying and remarkably generous. This, this terrifying and immense, majestic, amazing creator of ours is in 
involved in our lives in a very personal, intimate way. God is interested in justice. God is interested in issuing laws and decrees that will help the people and not condemn them. Laws and decrees that would give people a reason to be confident that they are loved and that should they follow these particular laws and decrees, they might even experience profound blessing from a God who dearly loves them. Well, needless to say, when Peter and James and John sat at uh, the feet of Jesus as he was on the Mount of Transfiguration in the presence of God and Moses and Elijah, they must have been as awestruck and blown away. Now, let's take a look at Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 21. For we did not follow cleverly designed stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place and until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Wow. So, when you read the story of the Transfiguration in the Gospel, you can see how Peter was so profoundly affected by what he saw. It's kind of remarkable to think that at this point, it's just started to dawn on him just who this Jesus is. As if all the miracles and all the profound things that he said and the effect he had on people wasn't enough. Now he sees the portal to heaven open. And Jesus is standing in the breach between heaven and earth in this glorious moment. And the witnesses to God's covenant who were the chief prophets or representatives of God's word before Jesus are standing there with him. It's, it's really quite mind-boggling to imagine, isn't it? And what Peter seems to make clear is that in order to know God, we have to first recognize that God speaks through the prophets, that we can hear God's voice in Scripture, in the teaching and preaching of the Word by those who have been appointed or anointed by God for that purpose. Uh, we hear the voice of God in each other when the Holy Spirit witnesses from inside our own hearts and says, uh, that was a God message, by the way. And so, to be tuned into the Holy Spirit is to be ready to receive a message from God and to receive God's messenger. 
And now, when we think about this incredible event, this transfiguration of the Lord, let us remember that He is our one who is standing in the breach between God and ourselves. He's the one who covers our sin. He's the one who, though we can't see through the portal, he has opened a way for us to pass through. When the time comes, and while we wait, he has sent this comforter, the Holy Spirit, to guide and direct our lives and to be his mind in our hearts and his thoughts, if we'll open ourselves to the possibility, his thoughts become our thoughts. So let us pray that we receive the Holy Spirit today, that we welcome the Holy Spirit today. Let us take confidence in knowing that this is God's desire fulfilled through Jesus, and it is our pleasure to give God's leadership to our lives and to sacrifice our own will in order to be right with God and to walk in peace with God and one another. Let us pray. Almighty God, I thank you so for your word and your teaching this day. I thank you for this blessed opportunity, this medium that you have allowed us to use to be together, to be church, even when we can't all gather in one place at one time. We pray you'll bless this endeavor improve it and enhance it for your name's sake. And above all, Lord, we look forward to your glorious coming. Thank you for giving us the spirit to hold us together, to connect us with you until that day. Amen. Holiness of Heart and Mind is a podcast created and presented by yours truly, Pastor Dan Sinkhorn. I am a pastor in the United Methodist Church in Indiana, serving at Corinth United Methodist Church near Muncie. If you'd like to support this effort in some way, then we'd be grateful first for your prayers and your encouragement. And if you are looking for a way to help make this possible financially, please make a donation to Corinth United Methodist Church. You can do that by visiting our website, CorinthUMC.com, CorinthUMC.com. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and uh, feel free to give your feedback. But for now, God bless you and goodbye. Mm-hmm.